Well, good Sunday morning to you. If you're watching this, it means that our time in quarantine is not entirely over. We do expect to get back. Uh, we do expect to get back in sections. There may be times that we're allowed to come in smaller groups, and there might be a time that we just need to ask those that are vulnerable to this, people who are over 60, let's say, people who have any lung issues, obviously, or any other complications that they continue to watch online. You just need to know your shepherds and staff are working on this every single day to make sure it is as smooth as possible and every member gets shown love and care. If you feel missed, if you feel left out, please get in touch. Today, back in Ecclesiastes, but we're really in the home stretch, the last few lessons on this. We'll be in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 today. This is You Are Here, part 11. And I entitle it, The Enormous Exception. And I took that title off of a book. I did not come up with it. Earl Palmer wrote a book called The Enormous Exception when he wrote a book about the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And that really is a great title for that sermon because the Sermon on the Mount is where Jesus comes and says, this is the way it's always been. This is the way we always thought things should be, but now there's an exception. And Jesus himself and his teaching became the enormous exception that changes everything that we do. There is an exception out there. And when you read Ecclesiastes 9, it can seem to be an unrelenting downer if you do not remember the enormous exception. The first sermon I preached here about six and a half years ago, hard for me to believe the time has really flown by for me, but uh, six and a half years ago, I did a, a story through the whole Bible in about 35 minutes called Move Counter Move or the dragon. And it was showing how from Genesis chapter one, all the way through the Bible, and you can run into contents and maps if you want to. It's just, there's a theme all the way through that says, God moves, Satan counter moves. Then God counter moves him, Satan moves, God counter moves. And everything in our lives and everything in the Bible can be seen in this, this motif, move and counter move. Perhaps it's time to bring that sermon back. Not today, uh, down the road somewhat, so that we can remember our lives are part of this move-counter-move scenario. No matter what happens in our life, every good thing that becomes an option, the enemy will provide at least one, if not two or three other options, to entice you away from the good thing. It, it, they, um, if we have a, something scheduled that would really benefit your marriage, or if you're a teenager, that would really help you um, talk about your faith when you get back to school. No matter what good thing we schedule, watch out. There will be other things popping up, and there will be reasons not to go to the good thing, and there will be a counter move, and it's a, it's a siren call that just kind of goes, oh, let me look over there. And the next thing you know, you've not done the good thing. You've not learned the good thing. It's it's rather like those that went into quarantine thinking, oh, this will last a few weeks. I'll learn Spanish. And now we still haven't started. We get enticed away. We forget. We lose our place in the book. And we don't know exactly what's coming up next. The devil will want to entice you, impede you, and promise you anything. 
to get you off track. He's really good at promising you anything. He will try every decision point to offer you an alternative that looks better, but it will not get you where you want to be. The good news is that when Satan or his minions make a move on us, God does counter move. And if we pay attention, we'll be able to tell that he pay, that he is counter moved. When we look at, at Ecclesiastes chapter 9 in particular, keep in mind that these are a people who are living 930 years before Jesus. And they don't know the whole story. Fair enough. Neither do we. But we know a lot more of the story than they did. So they are writing from the dark side of the cross, way back on the other side of the cross. Their main hope wasn't that one day they would live with Jesus in heaven. They didn't know Jesus. They knew God, and they knew God moved in that spirit, and, and they knew these things. But they weren't entirely clear on what happens after we die. That becomes very, very um, obvious, especially in our next series that we start here in a few weeks in the book of Job. The, the idea of the afterlife was out there, but it was so very unclear. Their main hope was not heaven, but that they would leave the right world behind that their family could continue. Their family, their tribe, their nation. Nation was a new concept some, uh, for the Jews at this point. So more family and tribe, that's I'm, the worst thing that could ever happen is the destruction of the family line, the end of the family line. That was the greatest curse of all times. Keep that in mind as you read Ecclesiastes chapter 9, that he's not going to talk about hell. He's not going to talk about going to heaven. He's going to talk about what we have to do in our few short days on this planet to make sure our family survives. The teacher, again, not being a downer, but it sure looks like it and it sounds like it to us. He is really trying to be Mr. Realism to his people so that they understand the reality in which they, they find themselves. Too many times I have to tell people, you know, you're, you're very flustered now and you're very upset and you're very emotional and I'll accept all of that. But what I need you to do is stop for a moment and look at what you have in your hand. Very much like God told Moses, what do you have? What is your situation? What does the battlefield look like? Who's with you? Who's against you? What facts do you believe that are facts? What needs to be checked? Just survey the real world. That's what Ecclesiastes 9 is doing here. He wants to make sure we understand a real truth. Just because we're good and just because we're righteous and just because we love people with the love of the Lord does not mean we're going to have a happy life. We might have a horrible life. We do not do good and live righteous lives so that because we have some agreement with the universe that in, in exchange, the universe will give us un, un, uh, joy without measure. No, that's not why we do good. We do good and we are righteous because that's what we do and that is who we are. That's enough. It's not the matter of, well, I'm going to do good and maybe God will let me into heaven. No, God's already made his promises. Our requirement before God is to trust him and, and be good. So 
Let's start in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, first six verses. So I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. But no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good, so with the sinful. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes us all. The hearts of the people, moreover, are full of evil, and there's madness in their hearts while they live. And afterwards, they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better than a dead lion. Wow, what a phrase. Uh, that's probably not his family motto, but it could be. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward. Even their name is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Neither again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. Oh boy. Feeling good now? Uh, peppy, chip, you know, just chipper and ready to roll. Everything which is desperately important to us right now will be gone and forgotten just in a few years. This time with our family, enforced as it has been, and cut off from other parts of our family. I get it, right? I'm not, not lessening the pain here. But this time with the family for uh, many people has become a real struggle when it could have been a real opportunity to love on each other, play games. You know, yesterday uh, I called my son and, and told him FaceTime with the kids later. And later he texted me and he says, what time tonight? And I texted him back and I said, we're not going anywhere. So just do that. It was nice to be able to acknowledge, hey, not going anywhere, not having any other duty right now means we're free to FaceTime with grants. You can find these opportunities. Later on, we're going to look back at this, and some will say it was the worst of times, and some will say it was the best of times, just like the opening of a Charles Dickens novel, The Tale of Two Cities. Yes, but all of it will be forgotten. We will move on. And those people that say the world will be changed in so many ways on the other side are right in some ways, but we tend to forget our promises made in the dark times. So let's not get too excited. This teacher is teaching us realism. If, if everything's going to be gone and forgotten in a few years, should we just then give up, just quit? Should we shrug? Absolutely not. The teacher wants to really emphasize here, don't give up. Step up. Do your job. Yes, you will not live forever. Yes, you're going to have pain and difficulty and disease and all those horrible things. Yes, but step up. Do your job. Make the world better than when you got there so that when you pass your family, whether that be blood family, uh, your nation, your neighborhood, or our faith family, that they will survive. Here at Fourth Avenue, we should know this because we walk in halls that were paid for and built by others. We have a reputation in Middle Tennessee and, and actually around the world that was started by people who are long gone now. We are blessed because they stepped up during the depression. They stepped up this building and the, rather these, this church was here during um, 
the Civil War. It was here during World War I. It was here during the Spanish flu. It was here during the Depression. It was here during World War II. And you're sensing a theme. They stepped up. And because of that, we walk right in. Wow. And the teacher is saying, you've got very little time to take care of things, getting it ready for the next people. Step up. This is your chance. And, and Jesus echoes this, by the way, on the, on the bright side of the cross in John chapter 9 and verse 4. He says very simply, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. Well, let's move on, see what else the teacher has to say to us. Go, eat your food with gladness, drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you do. You might want to underline that in your Bibles. People are always concerned. Am I good enough? Am I, and, or does God think I'm okay? Underline, God has already approved what you do. He loves you. Enjoy your food and drink. Always be clothed in white. Always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love. All the days of this meaningless life. I could have done without the meaningless stuck in there. That God has given you under the sun all your meaningless days, whatever, this is your lot in life. And then your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. <coughs> Sorry. For in the realm of the dead, where you're going, there's neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. <clears throat> Sorry, got all choked up there. Great passage, though. Um, and, and by the way, I love the phrasing in this passage. This is our counter move strategy. The devil has thrown something at us. Here's our counter move. Our time on earth is limited. So we respond by saying, then I shall enjoy this moment. This is what I have. If this is all I have, I will love this and I will work with this. I'm reminded of when the Spartans, just a couple hundred men, held off the entire Persian army for days at the pass of Thermopylae. Leonidas, the leader of the Spartans, they all knew they were going to die eventually, but they decided to hold that pass to protect the people behind them. By the way, had they not decided to step up, plug that gap, die if they must, the Persians would have entered Greece, and Greece was not ready. And that would mean that today our legal system our democracy, all of that would be gone because all of that came from Greece. Our idea of law and our idea of how to treat each other would not be democratic, which is a Greek word. It would be Persian, Iranian. A couple of hundred people fought it. Leonidas knew, again, that this is all they had. These days were all they had. When the Persian general looked at him and said, oh, you know, surrender now because our arrows will blot out the sun, Leonidas famously replied calmly, then we shall fight in the shade. This is what we got. This is what we're going to use. And I love that. I really do. This is all we have now. So let's enjoy this moment. I always told my kids, you ever find yourself falling out of an airplane without a parachute? Enjoy the view. Because out of all of your options, that's the only pleasant one I can think of. They, they probably need therapy, but that's all right. I used to be a shrink, so I'll help them on that side too. But all this backs up, and I'm going to lose some of the younger ones here, and some of you quarantine people. This backs up 
But recently an admiral told a graduating class and what people have been writing books on recently, make your bed, comb your hair, even your quarantine not stop, comb your hair, put clothes on. Don't go sloppy just because you can and you don't see, well, what does it matter if I try? I've always been really saddened, shocked, and not knowing what to do. When I watch women, and it seems to be women in my history, who work so terribly hard and long to prepare a Thanksgiving feast or a Christmas feast, they've worked hours and hours and hours, not, not even counting the, the planning. And then we eat it like we're a horde of jackals and, and it's gone. Most women that I know of, though, they're going to do it again next year because it matters to them that they did it, even if we didn't notice. And I think you should be noticing. I try to notice. I try. But Cammie will tell you, I don't always see. I always thank her for every meal, period. Even if all we're doing is heating up something out of the Tupperware, I thank her. But I don't see some of the things she does. And when I do see them, I'm wondering why. And the answer always comes down, because it matters. It's pretty. It's orderly. It gives direction. Very much in Ecclesiastes 9, 7 through 10. Take pride in your work. Even if you don't like your work, take pride in it. I think I've told you the story before. In Inverness, Scotland, that's, um, they call it the capital of the Highlands. I don't know that that's ever official, but that's what it's called. It, it by far is the biggest city there, if you don't count Aberdeen, which is off to the east. But Inverness, we would go up there and help a little church plant that was really struggling. And so we'd go up repeatedly. And one of the members there, whose name is John, one of the most popular names over there as well as here. And John had been an alcoholic all of his life. And he had damaged his brain quite a bit. John was always going to be brain damaged and only able to do some things. But John was relentlessly joyful that he'd found Jesus. One day as I'm, I was walking down the street in Inverness and it's starting to spit snow. The wind is howling. It, we haven't seen the sun for a couple of days because the clouds have settled in uh, from the North Atlantic and the North Sea. And there's John out in the street with a big push broom. He's working for the council. That's the local government as a street sweeper. And I watched him just for a minute until he looked up and saw me. And he just smiled. I said, John, how you doing, son? And he looked at me and he goes, oh, it's, I'm, I'm having a great day. I'm having a great day. And I looked at him and I said, John, you're working and it's cold out here. And he just smiled and shook his head. And he said, I'm sweeping up the streets for the Lord. As, <clears throat> that one kind of hit me. That was a humbling moment for me because I can find 15 things to complain about before I get out of bed. And here's this guy who literally has so much to complain about. says, no, I'm taking pride in my work. Look at this. This is great. Do what is right because it's right. Do what is good because it's good. Offer grace and mercy and kindness to those around you because, not because we're gonna get a reward, but because we are the people who offer grace, kindness, and mercy. That's what we do. 
We don't do this to save our lives. We don't do this to gain extra years. We don't do this to get a better house here or in heaven. We do these things because this is who we are. And this is our time to do them. We're not the people of God because we do what we do. We do what we do because we're the people of God. Remember that. What if everything goes sideways in your life and there's pain, there's disease, there's loss? You're still the people of God. And this is what we do. And it can go sideways very, very quickly. The scripture, it, it, it lets us know that. Look in Ecclesiastes 9, verses 11 and 12. I've seen something else under the sun. The race is not always to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happens to them all. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come as fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare. So people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. And here's where we have to go back to my very first sermon here, but only ever so briefly. Why did the people continue to fail? Why did Satan's counter moves throughout the history of scripture, why did they keep working? Because the devil had a tool, a weapon that nobody could take from him. And that was time. It was death. It was that ticking clock. And so when he would offer temptations that normally under other conditions, we, we, could, we could resist, like sex and power and pleasures and drugs and whatever it is. Why, why, why did they fall for it again and again and again? Why did they forget the prophets? Why did they forget their God? Why did they forget to do the sacrifices, as he said earlier here? Because the devil knew that we would panic when we saw the clock ticking. I think I'm running out of time. I'm running out of time. And suddenly it panics us to making bad decisions. A woman looks in a mirror and decides she's got to quit looking for Mr. Right. She's just got to find a guy and just make the best of it. And a man looks into the mirror and he wonders, am I strong enough? Am I capable enough? Do I earn enough money? Am I enough enough? And the panic sets in on him. He, is, he feels he's not strong and rich enough. He's failed in life. The woman feels she's failed in life because she sees the clock ticking and all the dreams that we, were, that we had, they haven't come true yet. And so marriage is split up. And the search, the search for finally getting it before we die whatever it is. We scream at the kids on the, on the baseball field because, come on, you've got to become an, an amazing success right now at this sport, in this venue. That clicking, this is all you got, kid. This is all you got. Time and death hover over us, influencing us in countless ways. And then enter Jesus, the enormous exception. He alone among us, he was the exception because death didn't do it. He came back. He taught us. He loved us. He told us stories. He laughed with us. When he died, we thought it was over, and then he showed us it isn't. Three days later, he came out of the lair of the dragon, disarmed the dragon, and showed us. It's okay now. It's all right. Don't let the devil use time against you.
I was able to be out working in the, in the yard this week and in the bright sunshine, I would look down at my hands and I'd be thinking, how did those get so old? Well, we all know how it got so old, but now I can smile and remember what Jesus also told us. Fear not. This is just a moment of time. Show up, do your job, do the best you can. Whatever you find to do, do it with all of your skill. But then it's going to be all right. It'll be fine. Jesus pulled the greatest counter move of all. And so we do good because it is good. And we live righteous lives because that's what we do. But we've also been given inside information that this teacher, the writer of Ecclesiastes, did not have. We have this information. I've often thought that if, if atheists really think there is no God, they live in Ecclesiastes 9, and there is no way out for them. Your time is limited, and this is all you get. Carl Sagan, an atheist, and the narrator for the original Cosmos series back in the day, understood this. And when he was dying of cancer, was asked by the interviewer if he ever thought, uh, so, ever had any regret for not thinking that he might live on and that there is a God. And he shook his head saying no, and he said, in a few days I will die, and the universe will not notice that I am gone. It never noticed that I was here. It never knew my name. It doesn't care for me. And when I am gone, the universe will move on. And I thought that's the most depressing. That's a guy stuck in Ecclesiastes 9 without knowing about the enormous exception. Don't be that person. As we close, eat your food with gladness. Drink your wine with a joyful heart. For God has already approved what you do. Get dressed. Do your hair. Make your bed. Love your husband. Love your wife. Love your friends. Love your community. And whatever you do, do it with all your heart. Satan won't know what hit him. <laughs>